Today on Survival Dispatch News, we're going to talk about bushcraft skills that you can use for urban survival. This Survival Dispatch video is brought to you by Nutrient Survival. Nourish your body, power your mind. And we're back with Survival Dispatch News, and we have a very special guest joining us today. We've got Casey with Georgia Bushcraft. But before we get into our discussion, I want to make sure that if you like this type of content, you get down there and you smash that like and subscribe button. Click the little bell icon next to it to get notified every time we upload new content here on Survival Dispatch. But Casey, it is a blessing to have you with us today. Uh, give us a little intro of uh, who you are and what you guys do. Hey, I really appreciate you uh, letting me come on and, and talk today. Um, so my name is Casey Deming. I'm the owner and director of Georgia Bushcraft. Um, we're an outdoor education company based uh, in Watkinsville, Georgia. Um, we host and facilitate events throughout the year out here on our property. Um, two, we really have two main events that happen throughout the year, our fall gathering and spring camp out. And so we have people that come from all over, all over the country um, several international folks um, that come down and and learn how to be more self-reliant, um, get outside and uh, just enjoy doing things that aren't, you know, directly behind the screen all the time. So, Dude, I totally get that. Uh, it's so important to just kind of get out there and practice these skills that, you know, maybe have been lost on, you know, from several generations, you know, having passed and not having to use them. But, you know, I think one overarching theme that I hear a lot is like, well, I live in the suburbs, I live in an urban, you know, setting in an apartment or something like that. What can bushcraft skills really do for me? So maybe could you give us like some insights on that, on what that could be used for in a survival situation? Absolutely. So bushcraft, I mean, a lot of people are like, what is bushcraft? Like, what, what does that mean? Um, and, and to me, bushcraft is, is taking primitive or self-reliant skills and kind of honing them um, where really time isn't a big deal. So like your emergency survival type situations, um, you know, time is kind of of essence, you know, depending on, it really just depends on where you are. Um, you know, you're in the city or in the woods. Um, but bushcraft is really just honing those skills and, and learning to do things um, with the stuff that you have with you. Um, so being more self-reliant and, and part of that is being prepared and, and knowing that, you know, what potential issues you're going to run into. So, you know, being in an urban environment, um, you know, you kind of have to carry the stuff with you that you would have to deal with on that type of, you know, in those type of situations, you know, so uh, a few, well, probably a decade ago, we live outside of Atlanta and we had, uh, they call it a snow apocalypse. We had like an inch of snow, but it turned right. ice, you know, and in Georgia, what, you know, that's a big deal. And it oh, happened yeah. right in the middle of the day. And so it was probably on like a Friday or something. And so everybody in Atlanta had this like mass exodus from their jobs and schools. And so everybody had to leave. And uh, so everybody was on the road at the exact same time. The snow was falling. It was cold enough to freeze. And so that one or two inches of snow turned to ice immediately. And so nobody could get anywhere. And so everybody was kind of stuck in place. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of people weren't prepared to be able to walk out of that situation. Um, a very real situation that happened not that long ago. And so being prepared, um, you know, with the right type of gear. So, for instance, keeping a pair of sneakers in your trunk. You know what I mean? Something where if you're, you got your dress shoes on, you know, or, or whatever guy or um, 
having the ability to leave that environment comfortably or at a faster pace um, would be would be a pretty big thing. Um, also, you know, dealing with the elements, so different types of years. So right now it's going to be 100 degrees here in Georgia. So it's hot, right? And um, so keeping, you know, maybe a case of water or the ability to filter water with you, um, near you, if you're in your vehicle or in a bag, if you carry a bag, um, or even like my, the belt I'm wearing. So Wazoo Survival Gear, some of my really good friends um, and one of our sponsors and, and vendors, they make a, a belt or cash belt. So the Wazoo Survival Belt, uh, to me, I always have the means of water purification or they even make this really cool small bag that you're able to contain, you know, if you got to catch water, um, you know, and carry water somewhere to be able to boil it. Um, so having the tools and the knowledge, that's really what is important. So knowing where you're at and having the stuff with you and what to do with it is, is key um, in any sort of survival situation, urban or in the woods, you know, in a remote, remote location. So where I am with no internet. <laughs> or barely enough internet to have this call. All right, guys. So, you know, Casey was talking about living in a remote location and he actually does live in a remote location. So his internet is maybe not as solid as mine here living in the suburbs. So we decided to just go ahead and uh, kill his video, but he's still here. I promise guys. Uh, so he'll be chiming in. So, uh, no, I remember what you were talking about with snowpocalypse there in Georgia, because uh, I was working for a company that had an office there and they were like emails going out. And I think it's what you guys share, like one snowplow between, uh, you know, Florida, Georgia and Alabama. <laughs> Without a doubt, man. Um, they're just they're not used to, to to dealing with the with that kind of condition um, and with the size of the population of Atlanta. It was just a cluster. Uh, it was. And my wife, uh, she's a teacher. And so at that time um, where she was working, she uh, basically was stuck on her way home. Um, luckily, she had, you know, Subaru, who her all-wheel drive vehicle was able to kind of get through a lot of where other vehicles couldn't. Um, she ended up being fine, but it took her like maybe a 20 or 30 minute drive took her like four or five hours. Oh, yeah. Because um, you have complete intersection intersections that are just uh, gridlocked. Um, yep. you just can't go anywhere. So you have to literally go around everybody. So, um, but we had friends and other folks we knew that, yeah, in their penny loafers trying to walk miles, you know, and good luck trying to do that. Um, especially at a fast pace if you need to. Um, and especially if you're not used to, uh, you know, that type of weather at all, uh, it yeah. definitely is very hazardous to drive on. Of course, here in, in Indiana, where I live, we're used to all sorts of weather. Uh, and so we get our fair share of snow and ice, but yeah. Down there in, in Atlanta, I mean, guys, I probably have no idea what ice even looks like if it doesn't come out of the freezer. Oh, without a doubt, man, for sure. Um, it, it was an interesting scenario. Um, one other part of it, too, that was kind of uh, an eye-opening thing, um, the cell phone service. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was interconnected, so everybody was using their phones at that time. And so I tried and call my wife, who was, you know, on the road, and someone else would pick up. You know what I mean? Oh or vice versa. So like the, the lines were being totally, um, um, you know, jumbled up with with this influx of, of folks using it. Um, and so it it was an interesting thought process of, well, what am I going to do now? How do I communicate? You know, that's that's another part of it is, you know, having alternate forms of communication. Um, you know, a big thing is something simple to do. GMRS. A lot of people don't even think about that. Yep. Um, but it costs pennies, um, compared to many of the other services out there. And 
you know, your whole family could talk on it and it, the range is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and anyway, so it's, it's just a thought process, um, is, is kind of what it boils down to. It's just to think about it ahead of time. Um, yeah. And I think that that kind of really gets to having a plan. I think even if you live like, you know, kind of where you're at and obviously you're not in Atlanta anymore, but if you, you know, don't live in the city, but you commute to the city, uh, you still may have to use these urban survival skills and, you know, being able to kind of know what you're going to do ahead of time, especially if comms go down. That's a huge thing. And it's something that I bet people were not expecting uh, during this disaster that just kind of popped up out of nowhere. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and so I, I don't know. It's just a mindset you have to get into. Um, and once you do it, and then it, it kind of adds a little no, another layer of fun about it, too. It's like, what can I prepare for today? You know, what, right. what should I over prepare for? Because the likelihood of these things is, is is pretty unlikely. But at least, you know, and you feel a little more confident about it, too, uh, about going to these scenarios. Well, you know, I think it, it brings up a good point that not all disaster scenarios are like the the Mad Max survival thing that we like to dramatize here in the prepper community. It, natural disasters alone can really throw a wrench in just everything. I mean, talking about natural disasters, we had a tornado here uh, about a month ago, knocked out power for a good eight hours. And thankfully it yeah. wasn't any longer than that, but you know, little things like that, that can just pop up out of nowhere uh, can really just, you know, throw a monkey a wrench in the system uh, and, you know, completely, you know, hose everybody. So having these plans ahead in place, like okay what are we going to do if comms goes down what are we going to do if the roads are impassable uh you know do i have things in my my get home bag that will help me get there am i wearing dress shoes then yeah like what you're talking about having that pair of, of walking shoes or you know hiking boots that you've already broken in uh yep. really That's important <laughs> yep uh i think a lot of people um i don't know it's i worked in the outdoor industry for a long time before starting georgia bushcraft and and i think the mentality the majority of the people have this mentality of you just buy something, you buy gear um, yep. and you sit on it, you throw it in a bag, you throw it in your trunk and you, you it gives you this sense of security. Um, but people don't realize like when you actually have to pull this stuff out, do you know how to use it? Um, and that really is what bushcraft is about. It's like taking that gear and in an opportunity where you don't have to like worry about it or be stressed um, and test it out, learn it, be able to, to use it, to know if it's crap. Uh, mm -hmm. cause a lot of that stuff's real trinkety things, you know? Um, and, and so I, I try to explain that to people like this is not an emergency situation is not the time in which you want to learn how to do something. Um, and, and have fun with it. It doesn't have to be like a doom and gloom thing. You know what I mean? It could be fun for the whole family. And, it just makes people rest a little bit easier knowing that they know how to do things for themselves or more self-reliant. Um, and kids love it too. Kids love learn how to make fires and, oh, yeah. um, you know, doing things that we were all doing a hundred years ago um, that we've totally forgotten about um, that were part of everyday life. And at any point could be part of our lives again. It's um, very true. Uh, you know, it's very true. And I like your idea about getting the kids involved if you have them. Uh, obviously, a great learning opportunity for them. And it lets you break out some of that gear and be like, oh, yeah, this really is a piece of garbage or no, this thing's solid. Uh, it gives you a lot better, you know, knowledge of your gear, how to use it, uh, you know, as opposed to just putting it in your closet and be like, ah, I got my fire starters. I'm good to go. Yep. I'll get to it when I need it, you know. Yeah, right. Um, 
but the best way to learn, in my opinion, is to teach somebody. And, and you know, I have two small kids. Not everybody does. Um, so, you know, you may have a niece or nephew or your friend's kids. You know what I mean? Spread the knowledge um, because you're going to learn while teaching them. Um, they're going to learn from it. And, man, when we're old and gray, the next generation is going to have to take care of us. And if, if we keep forgetting that, that's it's a really short-sighted thing. And that, that's a big thing that I do at Georgia Bushcraft, you know, is we try to push it on to the next generation. Like, learn this, enjoy it, have it be part of your everyday because you don't know when it will be or not, you know. So Yeah, the, the time to fail is now. Uh, yeah. when there are no consequences like if you you're trying to start a fire for if we're going to stick with that example and you burn through all your timber and you can't figure out what in the world happened now is the time to do that when you can just go down and you know to your you know like in my area we have like a little uh wooded area for like common areas like okay you can go and pick up some more twigs right and, and haul yep. them back home but you know in a disaster situation you may need that to cook. You may need that for warmth. Uh, you know, you've got your kids who are saying, daddy, I'm cold. Uh, that's the last place you want to be like, okay, now what the heck do am I going to do? Uh, yeah. The time to do it is to fail now and figure out what works and what doesn't uh, when there are literally no consequences. Yep. Absolutely, man. Without a doubt, for sure. So you, you talked about uh, making it fun. Give us some examples of how people can make bushcraft fun, because I think a lot of people see like on on YouTube or stuff like that. Guys are going out in the woods and they're talking about like how much it sucks. And, you know, oh, I've got to, you know, hack this tree down with a knife. Obviously, that's not necessarily practical for everybody. But what are some ways that people can make practicing these skills fun? Well, to me, finding a way that. um doesn't it doesn't have to be a lot of work right um it's you got to kind of think about the scenario or the situation um and and what is it you're trying to accomplish um and if you start out with it being fun and and an adventure um and an opportunity to kind of relax a little bit and get outside um start there go on a camping trip go to your state park every state in this country um has a great opportunity to get outside um, get out there and experience the outdoors, um, experience what's around you. Um, and then basically just, just start learning, um, you know, start with fire, start with, you know, you don't have to make a bow drill your first time, you know what I mean? But like just using a ferro rod and, you know, we live in the South, so we're full of pine trees, you know, learning what, uh, fat wood is, you know, uh, fat lighter, whatever you want to call it. Um, nature's amazing tinder source. Um, figure out what that is, find some, break some off, you know, scrape it up, use your ferro rod, get a fire going. Um, it doesn't have to be this, you know, bear grill style, uh, emergency survival situation. You know what I mean? Like it could be entertaining. Um, and so like with our kids, our, I try to teach my girls, you know, they're, they're four and eight. And so that's, <laughs> it, it takes a little bit, you know, but, oh, yeah. um, find ways that they can learn about nature. You know what I mean? like do plant walks. Um, we like to do this thing. So we go to the beach a lot, or if we're in the mountains or the woods, um, we play a game where, uh, we see a bit of trash or something, um, whatever may be lying around and we play a game. What can we use that for? What other purposes can we make with that? So there's a, a, a garbage bag, you know, um, what could we do with that? You know, could, you can make a poncho out of it. You can use it to collect water. You can use it to make a primitive shelter. Um, 
you know, there's a, a piece of glass. What can you, you know what I mean? Whatever it is. And so it becomes kind of a game like, oh, I could use this to cut rope and make tinder or, um, you know, whatever it may be. Just try to find some sort of fun, interactive way. Um, do a scavenger hunt when you're walking through the woods. And first one to find, you know, three different types of leaves. You know, and this is like kid stuff, you know, yeah. if you have small kids. Um, but uh, but for adults, too, I mean, there, there are other ways of having your own kind of scavenger hunt. You know what I mean? Like what what types find different types of mushrooms that are out there. Don't eat them. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. ugh, don't do that. But like, you know, there's tons of medicinal plants and wild edible plants that are in everybody, even in an urban environment, in your front yard. Um, you know, you can you can go down the list. But um, to me, teaching kids something like primitive fire. Um, is a way to like up their confidence level you know what I mean you start with some sticks and you learn how to leverage those sticks and friction um, in the right way and you can create enough friction to create a fire and it's such a rewarding thing to start from start to finish um, with a the product they see the full process I don't know I just I feel like after COVID and everything kids um, their their level of um uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, basically, their their confidence level was just put to crap. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? They're scared. They're afraid uh, of everything. And so if you can kind of teach them one little thing like that, it's kind of a starting point, you know? Um, anyway. no, I think that's a really cool idea, you know, making a game out of it. I like that a lot. Uh, and of course, kids love games. And I, I think that uh, one thing that you know, in the prepper community, especially, uh, is like, we put it like, oh, well, this could be life and death, right? Uh, mm -hmm. This could mean the difference between our survival and, you know, being six feet under. Uh, and if we kind of take that away and we're like, okay, how can we make this fun? Maybe not just for our kids, but for ourselves as well. It'll be a lot more enjoyable and you'll get a lot more joy out of it. And you'll like doing it as opposed to, oh my gosh, this sucks, guys. It's so terrible, uh, you know, having to, you know, start this fire. Uh, but if you're like, okay, how, can I do it with the sticks this time? You know, if not, I've got my Bic lighter, I've got my ferro rod if I need it, but let's, let's try, you know, let's try making the bow uh, and try and get that friction fire going and, you know, challenge yourself. Uh, I think yeah. that that's, that's really rewarding. You know, we, we live, you see like video games, like world of Warcraft, why were they so successful? Because they gave people a challenge, something to accomplish and they got joy and that, that dopamine hit from, making that accomplishment. And so it's the same thing. Just take it from sitting behind the computer screen, as I say this, sitting behind a computer screen and, <laughs> you know, get out in the, in the, out in the backyard and give it a try. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I definitely think that that's, uh, I don't know, life is too short not to. And, um, and you just never know what you're going to learn. Like if you're, if you're not learning every day, um, you're, you're doing something wrong. So yeah. exactly. No, and I like that. Exactly. And I, just to kind of build on what you're talking about with the kids, I, I know if, if you're watching, you don't have kids, you're like, oh, Chris, shut up, get to the next point. Don't worry, we will give it just a second. But one thing that I've noticed is kids are so inquisitive and they want to learn, they want to help. It's like uh, we're planning on putting a shed in our backyard later this year. And my daughter, my 11 year old, is always like, oh, can I help you do it? Sure, absolutely, honey. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what in the world she's going to do, but I'm going to find something <laughs> that I can do that she can yep. help me build that shed. Oh, absolutely. And they'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. They they really don't. Certain memories like that, uh, they it sticks with them, um, and they tell their friends, and you know it's just 
I don't know. It's a good thing. It really so. is. It really is. So, uh, you know, let's let's switch gears here. Let's let's get off the kids because I know I'll see that in the <laughs> comments. And, and if you don't have kids, feel free to to burn me in the comments. I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's talk about you know some kind of beginning bushcraft gear that people should have if they want to do this. Obviously, you know, we're talking about fire starters like a ferro rod. You're probably going to need a decent knife, but what are some other things that uh, people might want to look to maybe add to their kit so that they're ready to start practicing these skills? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, having a ferro rod or a means to start a fire, um, if anything, just hand put big lighters goes a long way. Um, Better nothing. But uh, but having, you know, a solid knife is, is definitely key. Um, you know, I I'm the master of this, but like, you really only need one. Um, you know, it's like the pot calling kettle black here. Um, but you only re need real, really good, uh, like large fixed blade knives, you know, something with a full tang. Um, so, you know, the blade all goes all the way through it. Um, we at Georgia Bushcraft, we, uh, we have a lot of really good friends in the knife industry. So it's hard for me to, to, to say any, any of them, but, uh, but having a solid fixed blade knife, uh, is key or, even a pocket knife, whatever, a sharp blade goes a long way in the woods. Um, because it's really hard to recreate that. Um, so, but having, having a, a good pack, you know, you, you can use a Jansport or something like that, but some, some sort of pack that has some rigidity to it, um, is, is key. So, so basically like something with an internal frame, uh, something that if you do have to carry it for a long distance, I'm not saying go and get like an Osprey or some like, you know, backpacking backpack, but like, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're or you're wanting me to plug any brands or not, but um, you can do whatever you want here, brother. What what works best yeah. for you? Well, so I've got a few different bags. Well, I have more than a few, but the, the kind of the ones that stick with me as far as like having a backpack and organization, um, I like something that's got some sort of rigidity to it. Like uh, Hidwoods, when I really like their packs, um, they're great for for different applications. Very bushcrafty. Um, you know, I think they're solid. They're, they're made really well. I like Banquest gear. They make some really nice stuff. Um, they're some of our friends, you know, and then I've really, I like Arcteryx packs or um, uh, I'm trying to think some of the other ones that, that I kind of keep with, but something that, that you can carry a load if you need to, that isn't going to be miserable. Some like little, like a limp backpack is going to make your life terrible. Um, so having a good foundation like that, um, throw a 55 gallon drum lighter in your bag like a like a mm -hmm. garbage bag you know i've heard there's there's several other like prominent bushcraft folks who say that they came up with this type of thing who cares it's yeah. a it's a cheap little thing just to throw in your bag it's great for if you need to wear it as a poncho you need to turn it into a shelter uh and it's cheap everybody's yeah. got trash bags around the house or whatever that's something that everybody could throw in a bag and forget about it um you know, even if you're using it as a liner inside of your bag, so to keep your keep your extra gear dry. Um, so that and then having some sort of means to boil water. Um, so water's kind of a kind of a big deal, right? Um, mm -hmm. We it, it only it only takes us a few days to really go without water to to miss it. Oh, yeah. um, so having a way to contain it and or boil it um, is is definitely important. Um, think about how I think about putting items into my bags or my car, or whatever are things that I wouldn't want to have to recreate in nature, you know, or, or hope to find. Right. Um, man, it sucks making rope or any sort of cordage. So like, 
like even if it's some paracord, bankline, um, Dyneema, uh, like Arborist cable, whatever, something that's lightweight, some Kevlar um, strand, something that you can help lash stuff together. Uh, duct tape does that well too. Um, bailing wire. Yeah, bailing wire. A anything like that, you use it for snare wire. Um, you know, duct tape's nice because you kind of have a multi multi purpose there because you can use the duct tape to to uh, you know bind things together. Uh, also help with if you have like a hole in something, you got to you got to patch it up, and then you can use this tinder. It works great for fires, starting fires. Um, nice. So so whatever things that you don't want to have to recreate, um, make sure that you have with you. Uh, it's just going to save you time and convenience and make your life a lot easier. Um, Definitely. You know, and then, I don't know, like, I, again, I love my Wazoo belt because I've got a phone charger in there. I've got extra cash in there. I have the means to start a fire, uh, fish, find food. You know, it, you may not be in a complete survival situation, but man, you mm -hmm. may, maybe a few days. So throw some, throw some non-perishable food or a little bit longer shelf food, like a granola bar or stuff like that. Um, some uh, peanut butter packets, you know, like you go a long way. Beef. Yeah. Um, even like seasoning, you get it like Chick-fil-A or like a, um, at a, a fast food. Like, restaurant, yeah. Like know? those little salt and pepper packets. Yeah. Like uh, Tabasco packets, you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. You do have to eat some sort of food. You're not really happy about well, you throw something like that in there, you can season it up, and make life a little bit easier, a lot uh, more palatable. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. So, those well, are I kind figure of down down in the south, you guys pretty much live on that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we love us some uh, some Chick Fil A, man. Oh uh, yeah, I'm all about it. I just need one closer. No, you're absolutely right, especially with the water aspect of thing, because you can go a lot longer than you expect without food, but without water, you're going to be hurting really quick. Now, I mean, obviously here in the, the survival community, we kind of harp on the rule of three, right? It's three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food. Now, it's going to be a pretty rough three weeks, but uh, one thing that I've kind of discovered is you can really get over a lot of those hunger pangs, you know, with some water and once you get through it it's a lot easier to kind of hold off on eating as opposed to drinking because once you get dehydrated you're in trouble yep yeah dehydration is is definitely not something you want to deal with um and and it also affects your body in other ways too you know what i mean mm -hmm. um if you're really dehydrated you know your core temperature it has a lot to do with that um and also your mentality you know just to be able to think straight, um, you're not going to feel really well. And so just the ability, I mean, in North America, there are a few places that don't have water nearby to some extent, you know what I mean? Yeah. West, um, or the Southwest. Yeah. You're, you're going to be hurting a little bit more for it. So carry it, um, have it nearby. Um, but you know, everywhere else, um, you can find, you can find water most places. It may be brackish or it may be pretty gross, you know? Um, but, bring something that that could help at least filter it to some extent um either you know biologically or just physically if it's really sooty um but uh but starting with you know you get a stainless steel nalgene um or um th there's a bunch of different companies and and to me stainless steel is great because it's very durable um and it's not that expensive but you can boil with it it'll take up you know take a lot of hits versus titanium yeah, you can, it's nice and lightweight, way more expensive and sweet, but, um, 
you know, it's, it's going to disform and have its own other issues when you boil it too much. Um, but skip all those steps and just carry a grail. Um, you know, if, if you're familiar with grail, uh, they're, they're one of our good friends and a really cool company, uh, that makes some of the best water bottle filters out there. Um, I mean, they'll filter down to the viral level, uh, which is, which is not very common for a lot of filters. Um, and you can just use it as a regular bottle every day. You don't have to use the filter aspect of it all the time. Um, they're kind of pricey. They're, you know, 80 to a hundred dollars starting out. Um, so if that's outside of your budget, you know, you may want to reconsider, but, um, just having the means to carry water with you and either to boil it or to be able to purify it with either, um, like chlorine tabs or different types of, um, other, you know, water purification methods, um, is pretty yeah, I mean, it, bugs in, in the water can kill with boring regularity. So you definitely want to make sure that you clear those out. And I'm not talking about mosquitoes here. Uh, we're talking about crypto, E. coli, um, all those Giardia. nasty. Giardia, yeah, that was the one I was forgetting. Yeah, that that's nasty if you get that. Uh, and, you know, carrying around a couple of water purification tablets in your, your get-home bag or whatever you've got in your car, uh, your you know, your car survival kit can really be the difference between uh, life and death. Because in a situation, even if it's only a partial, you know, disaster, it may be difficult for you to get to medical attention. And if you catch one of these and you don't have like antibiotics sitting around, which I know most of us don't have, you know, pounds and mountains of those sitting around everywhere, yeah. uh, you know, you could be in a lot of trouble. Yep, absolutely. And talk about dehydration. You're going to dehydrate way faster once oh, you yeah. start having, you know, diarrhea and vomiting. And that's all that comes with all those uh, waterborne pathogens. Like yep. it's, they are it's nasty. No, no bueno. Um, yeah, it definitely is not even a life straw they're cheap mm -hmm. like throw one in every vehicle and forget about it like yep. that's one of those things you don't there's no learning curve on those like it's you just put it in the water and drink yep. and you're good to go so pretty simple water. yep but yeah i mean obviously if you can kind of maybe like pre-filter that water a little bit try and get some of that sediment and nasty stuff out with maybe just like a little bandana that you threw in uh or you know you could get the the shamog or whatever you want to do to, you know, just at least have some pre-filtration. And then I love, I love your idea with the stainless steel analogy that's going to be fairly lightweight. Plus you've got a carabiner now. So you've got another way to hold things together if you need it. Uh, and it's real easy to boil it to uh, make sure that you've killed off all those nasty things that you don't want playing a party in your guts. Yep. Absolutely. No, that's really cool. Really good stuff. Uh, and definitely important even, you know, in an urban survival situation where you're like, ah, dude, I got water everywhere. I mean, you know, you can have something like uh, we've got like a seal cock key here. It's great, uh, you know, for getting those, uh, you know, external water sources. But I'll tell you, that stuff is not going to be clean coming out. Uh, so you're going to want to make sure that you're running that through a filter of some sort or maybe some water purification tabs at a minimum. But yeah, I, I kind of wanted to hit on that a little bit and and get your thoughts because, you know, we always see, oh, you got to get like these freeze dried, you know, MRE stuff like that for your, your bag. But honestly, you can go if your plan is just to, you know, take the ankle express home and you just need to get there. Water is going to be a lot more important because you're going to be sweating quite a bit, especially if it's hot where like you and I live. Yeah. 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 You're going to get really thirsty really fast at 100 degrees and, you know, 80 percent humidity. It's going to suck. 
Um, and that that's that's dangerous level right there. I know it's getting pretty close to that here in Indiana today, so it's it's not fun. Uh, let's let's kind of hit on something here. I want to get your opinion since obviously you're out in the woods more and doing things. What are some things that people can do to kind of stay cool in these situations? Because this is something I don't think gets talked about a lot, and I think is really important. Absolutely. So obviously, staying staying cool and not overheating is key. Uh, heat stroke. I mean, that's that's a real deal. Uh, when oh, yeah. your core body temperature gets too high, I mean, your organs start shutting down. Like it's, it's, it's a real thing. Um, and so some of the ways to do it, obviously get out of the sun, like that's a big part of it, right? Find some shade, um, or water, water's definitely going to cool you down. Um, but find some shade and lay on the ground. You know, the ground is going to be a lot cooler than the ambient air above, you know what I mean? So get flat, um, and and try to reduce your heat exposure from or your sun exposure um in, in any way possible um clothing option is definitely key too um you know you, you hear always the term like cotton kills well yeah depending on the certain type of the year and and, and the certain area uh you're in um but you may not want something that's going to wick moisture away from your body so using something like merino wool you know, in the summer may or may not be a good thing, but, or cotton, you know, cotton will retain that, that water and hold it and not evaporate as fast. Um, so in the summer may not be a bad idea. Um, you know, think, think about the clothes you wear are just as important as a gear in your pocket or in your bag. Um, think of your clothes as your gear too, you know, um, it's just, it's another thought, another mentality, um, to kind of get past, but, it's important that you don't forget about those things. And I think that's a really good good point, you know, to talk about your clothing and, you know, really mold it to your situation and make sure that you're updating your, you know, whether it's your, your what you're wearing or it, what's in your bag, because the last thing you want is for you to have like your your shorts and, uh, you know, your, your cotton t-shirt or whatever in your get home bag. And it's, you know, a blizzard outside. That's not going to be yeah. so good. Uh, so make sure that you're kind of going through your bags, making sure that your clothes are up to date. And, uh, you know, just one caveat on that laying down on the ground, make sure you're on the dirt, not on the asphalt, because that asphalt yeah. is going to be freaking hot. But Oh, uh, yeah. 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 In an urban environment, don't do that. No, yeah. no, no. Don't do that. But no, like in the woods, um, find a shady tree, shady patch area um, and, and kind of just cool off, lean up against a tree and just just get low. Um, and it, it will definitely help. Um It'll definitely help your core body temperature. So, no, I was on a, uh, a mission trip once, and we had somebody get heat stroke. He actually stopped sweating, and that's that's a big sign. Just if you've never experienced that before, because I know probably a lot of people haven't. As I sit in my air conditioned home, uh, you <laughs> know, uh, once you stop sweating, you know you're in trouble. Uh, that that's a big danger sign, and so. Uh, at that point, obviously, you need to stop. You need to start drinking. Uh, one thing that my grandma always used to do when she was weeding in her garden, when she would get hot, was she'd take like a, a washcloth or a bandana, dip it in water, and put it on the back of her neck. Because uh, yep. that, that'll help pull a lot of ambient heat out of there, and it'll actually make you feel cool a bit uh, a bit quicker if you're having to do a lot of outside work and you're not used to it. Definitely, without a doubt. That and having a good hat, something to kind of cover your head. Yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely important. Yeah, because let me tell you, getting sunburn on your head sucks. Oh, man. The worst. Yeah, that's no fun. No, <laughs> that's for no sure, fun for, for anybody, sure. man. 
And, you know, you, you think about these situations like we have in, in cities nowadays. You talked about the snowpocalypse there in Atlanta. Think about something like, uh, you know, when we had like 9-11 or all the natural disasters we've got going on right now. I mean, they had uh, that, that hurricane up in New York. Apparently, you know, California got one. I don't really think they did. But, uh, you know, <laughs> seems like it wasn't so, as bad as they were thinking it was going to be. But you know, tornadoes in your local area, if that's what you have, hurricanes, obviously down south is going to be a big issue. Uh, you know, just uh, being aware of your surroundings and what could potentially be a disaster in your area is going to be far more likely than something dramatic like an EMP or, you know, a nuclear, you know, disaster or something like that. I mean, look at the people up in Ohio that had the uh, the train derailment, uh, yeah. you know, and their whole area was basically made toxic. They had to bail. Yep. You need to know when to get out in situations mm -hmm. like that or, um, yeah, the things, things, natural disasters are one thing, you know, man-made disasters are another, you know, I think it's a lot lower percentage. I mean, it is a lot lower percentage man-made versus oh, yeah. natural disasters, at least in this country. Um, yeah, this time of year, we're getting ready for hurricane season in the South and, um, you know, it's, it's a real deal, um, issue if you're not prepared, um, at least for on a comfort level, you know, you're probably not going to die. You know what I mean? You, if you're, if you're sitting through like a cat three or four or five, um, then yeah, you need to probably go. But um, what you're really going to run into is your comfort level. You're not going to have electricity. It's going to be hot probably. And so uh, your conditioning is not going to work. Um, you know, your, your regular comforts you're used to our society today. Um, you know, you won't have any internet. You won't have these things. Um, and so trying to figure out ways that, that, that just going to make that situation suck less. Um, yeah. It's a really good way to put it. Uh, honestly, I had some friends who lived through Andrew and they decided to stay there. They were down in Florida when it hit and they were telling me some horror Man. stories of what it was like afterwards. So yeah, if you can get away from something like that ahead of time, if you have advanced notice, that's amazing. But if you don't, you got it prepared to make it suck less. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be an inconvenience. It always is. Um, and our society today, we're not used to inconveniences. And so I think if you just change your mindset um, and just just go with the flow and accept accept the suck and try to make it a little more comfortable or fun, um, everybody around you, including yourself, will, will probably fare much better. Exactly, embrace the suck. Uh, definitely a good way. I think all our military <laughs> people will understand that. Uh, so, Casey, tell us a little bit more about Georgia Bushcraft and stuff that you guys do and uh, let us know how people can get a hold of you if they want to, uh, you know, maybe partake in what you have. Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, we do we do those main events throughout the year. Um, so what those really are is um, we have classes that go on all weekend. So so people will come, they'll camp, starts Friday morning, goes through Sunday. Um, and then we have pretty much a class. Uh, or at every hour we have between five and 10 different classes on various subjects, anything from blacksmithing to falconry to primitive and traditional skills um, to astrophotography to homesteading to to ev every sort of outdoor fun, self-reliant kind of activity uh, we have going on. So that that happens uh, for three days. And then we have vendors. We have a bunch of really awesome companies, a lot of gear makers that come out uh, from all over the country. Um, I think we're almost up to 80 different vendors uh, oh, wow. for this year. So basically, you're, you're sharing the campfire with a lot of, of uh, very like-minded folks. 
And so it's maybe you're not there to take classes. You're just there to experience the community and, and just to kind of, you know, see what it's all about. Um, just, just walking around and having the conversations or very organic conversations, you're going to learn something. You're, you're going to end up with some, probably some lifelong friends you never knew existed. You know, it's just, it's a wonderful community. And so our next one is in November, November 3rd through the 5th. Um, and we're, we're about an hour and a half, uh, east of Atlanta. Um, but throughout the year, besides those events, we host different weekend workshops. So, um, uh, one of one of our really good friends and instructors, his name is uh, Bushcraft Kelso. If you follow him on Instagram, uh, so Kelso does um, different classes for us. He does like a Bushcraft 101 type class. Um, we do wilderness survival classes with him. We do firecraft classes. Um, we've got uh, Craig Caudill from Nature Reliance School. He's, he'll be back here this October, and he does land navigation as well as some um, uh, kind of back to – or beyond the basic type courses. So kind of naturalist type courses. So learning about wild edibles, medicinal plants, um, you know, things in nature, understanding, you know, when you're walking through the, the woods, the birds, you know, they're talking to each other and, and being able to be aware of the situation, what's going on. Uh, Craig's awesome. Uh, we've got, we just do a bunch of different classes throughout the year. So it's, I, myself and George Bushcraft, we don't really teach classes. We just facilitate the environment so that people can come and learn from these really cool people um, from all over the country. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of in, in uh, uh, a gist of what we do. We're actually opening our first store, uh, our first retail store here, which is going to be an interesting thing um, uh, in the next month or so. Um, I'm also about to launch a Kickstarter. Uh, for my other company, Bushcraft Coffee, all you coffee drinkers. Um, talking my language. Man, so we got a whole new different uh, uh, product and uh, that's coming out here actually next week, September 1st. So um, I'll tell you more about that at some point. Uh, I'll send you some some goodies to test out. Sure, um, love it. And, uh, and yeah, so to find us, just uh, georgiabushcraft.com. Or okay. uh, at Georgia Bushcraft on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all all the uh, different all the socials, socials, right? All of them, unfortunately. Gotcha. Um, it's the name of the game these days, but um, yeah. So that's that's pretty much how you'll find us. All right, perfect, guys. Uh, GeorgiaBushcraft.com. It'll be down there in the comments and a clickable link if you want to join up. Obviously, that class is coming up here pretty soon. If you're watching this sometime in the future. Uh, if you missed it, sorry, but check out their website. Uh, they've got plenty of classes coming up here in the future. Thank you again, Casey, for joining us. It was great having you on the show. And Absolutely, we, Chris. I appreciate it, man. No, it was a blessing to have you. Uh, thanks again for sharing all of your knowledge, and we'll catch you on the next one.